What I believe is God hasn't stopped calling people to ministry leadership. I think we as current leaders have stopped asking a whole generation to consider if they're called to ministry leadership. And what we're typically doing is we're wanting to find someone who's already doing a good job somewhere else so that we can go hire them and make them a part of our church. But then when we do that, now that church is looking and they're going to have to do the same thing and then so on and so on. So what we've kind of been doing in recent years, I think, is just shuffling around shepherds instead of taking the time to raise up new ones. Today on the show, we have Shane Pruitt, who oversees NextGen Ministry for the North American Mission Board. And this topic is so interesting for churches. How do we find more young people to step up into roles of leadership? Yeah, we got an article from our podcast producer recently that said only 15% of pastors are under the age of 40. And so we knew that Shane is an expert on this topic, and we called him on. And the thing I loved so much about this episode is that he has a really contagious joy about him And so sometimes on the glass house, it can be real kind of melancholy. Things are sad. Life is hard. And I loved his spirit of don't be discouraged about the next generation because the next generation is actually really great. And here's why. He has an infectious joy about him and it comes through, but it is a serious problem. I was telling you about this recently. It's almost like we're in the middle of war and young people are not signing up for the draft. Mm -hmm. So as we look at the future of the church, like who is going to fill all these pulpits that so many people are retiring? How do we going to... How are we going to continue to go if no one's willing to lead? Well, we talked about this in a crisis in America of even like nurses, policemen, service industries, service industries, I mean, are just so scrutinized right now that they're leaving it. And so um, I thought that we were actually coming to this and it was going to be a little bit of a hard conversation, but Shane really um, turned it to be a really joyful conversation. He's a great voice. He's also a great writer. He and a a guy named Scott Pace wrote a new book for B&H called calling out the cult. And the whole focus of that book is helping churches and pastors figure out how do we help young people see the glory of Christian ministry. So I think you're going to enjoy this conversation. We talk about several things. We talk about the importance of mentoring. We talk about the importance of being sensitive to giving young people opportunities in the service or in, in the church. We talked about Gen Z a lot, just the different generations and what they have expected from the church and how much Gen Z is open to the idea of aging and being around those who are older. And I just love his story about how he was part of a small church and the pastor took an interest in him and what a difference it made. So even though this is a serious topic, Shane is such a positive voice and we can't wait to introduce you to him. This is Shane Pruitt talking on how we're going to call off the cult. Shane, great to have you here. Thanks for coming on. Hey, what an honor to be on. Thank you for having me. We've been batting around this episode for a while. Lindley and I saw a statistic recently that 15% of pastors are under the age of 40. And we were like, we can think of so many churches that are looking for pastors. And we don't have a long list of young people to refer anymore. Like the ones that we know we've already referred. <laughs> well, we get asked. We keep yeah, getting asked, right. hey, do you guys know we're looking for a pastor or a youth pastor or anything? And we want to be able to be so helpful. And we're like, we actually don't have any names to give you. Like, well, it's, it's yeah. scary. And we know like the future of the church is all about leadership and who's going to step up and take these roles. And since you just published with us, I want you to talk about your book a little bit. And Nam has given you this incredible role of really calling out young people to see God's call in their lives. So why don't you take a moment and just tell us a little bit about who you are, tell our audience. 
Yeah, yeah. So yeah, Shane um, and grow, grew up in Texas, um, became a follower of Jesus at 21. Um, so I had a pastor, they said, uh, hey, what are you going to do with your life? I said, I don't know. And he goes, well, why don't you at least go to Bible college? <laughs> shows you. And I didn't even know what Bible college was. I had no clue. So I went and visited, saw the degree program didn't see any math classes, and I was like, "The Lord has spoken. This is <laughs> what I'm go. supposed to do," you know. And so, so I even it was for me it was so important because I had a pastor kind of help me and send me down a path, and then through that, the Lord, you know, called me to to ministry and leadership and and those things. So yeah, I was a youth pastor for a long time, and then a lead pastor of a church that we planted, and uh, most people call it C3 now. And that church just took off, and then was able to start serving with our state convention. And now I serve with NAM, uh, the North American Mission Board, and been with them exactly three years. And I get to help oversee our efforts to the next generation. So young adults, college students, um, teenagers, and we love students, but really our target group is to really equip next-gen leaders and influence next-gen leaders who are on the front lines of influencing the next generation. And then yeah, I have a wonderful wife married way, way over my head. Her name is Casey, and we have six kiddos. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's really my primary ministry. Everything else is from the overflow of that. So that's really the stage of life we're in right now. And on top of that, you're writing books. Like you yeah, don't have anything books. else to do besides yeah. just taking more projects. Man, I tell you, and it and writing with the team at BNH was incredible. Awesome. Uh, a good friend of mine, uh, Scott Pace, and I wrote a book, Calling Out the Call, with BNH. It's been incredible. We've been blown away by the response, and really been the the stat that you and Lindley saw. That was the same thing that me and Scott saw, and it really grabbed our attention. We get those same phone calls, you know, according to Barner Research in 2017. So I bet the statistic. Sadly, it's probably even worse uh, I agree. in 2023. When you think of just the eye test alone through the pandemic, it seems to be more men and women leaving ministry than entering ministry. So when you think of less than 15% of all Protestant ministry leaders that are under the age of 40, it's almost like we're a baseball team and don't have much of a farm system coming up. Um, but what I believe is God hasn't stopped calling people to ministry leadership. I think we as current leaders have stopped asking a whole generation to consider if they're called to ministry leadership and yeah, I get those same phone calls. Hey, looking for a youth pastor, looking for uh, a college pastor, looking for a lead pastor. But I think what we do in that often, um, Ben is even, you know, through those questions, what we're typically doing is we're wanting to find someone who's already doing a good job somewhere else so that we can go hire them and make them a part of our church. But then when we do that, now that church is looking and they're going to have to do the same thing and then so on and so on. So what we've kind of been doing in recent years, I think, is just shuffling around shepherds instead of taking the time to raise up new ones. Absolutely. Which sounds a little bit like your story. You said that you had a pastor when you were 21 to talk to you about Bible college. I mean, how did that come about? How did that? I mean, was that just a church you were a part of? It was, yeah. So I grew up a small town outside of Waco, Texas, and um, I didn't get saved till I was 21. And so when God saved me, he saved me out of a partying lifestyle as an athlete. All my friends were still partying. So I started sharing the gospel with them, but I knew I couldn't spend you know, time with them in the parties and clubs anymore. So I started spending all my time with a pastor of the church, which was awesome. He was in his early seventies mm-hmm. and, um, you know, not necessarily cause I felt called to ministry at that time. I just want to spend time with him, but he added me to his calendar, which I think that's a cheat code too. Cause some people are like, well, I don't have time to add anything else to my calendar. And he didn't do that. He actually added me to his calendar to go, Hey, I'm going to do this. Come join me. So I would, I'd go on hospital visits with him. I'd go witnessing with him. I'd work around the church mainly to spend time with him. And that's what he said. Lindley goes, what are you going to do with your life? I said, I don't know. 
And he goes, well, why don't you go to Bible college until the Lord shows you? And so I moved and went to Bible college. I'd been a Christian less than a year. I remember being at Bible college and here's all these ministry students there and they're doing what Bible college students do. They're debating Calvinism and Arminianism. I had no idea what they were talking about. I was still calling Psalms palms. You know what I mean? (laughs) But I had some professors that poured into me and discipled me. So I say at Bible college, I learned some great theology and and doctrine and was equipped, but more than anything, I was discipled. Um, And probably two years in, I really felt the Lord calling me to ministry leadership and and primarily to, you know, preaching, teaching, leading. And so I went back one weekend and told my home church pastor, I said, I think the Lord's called me uh, to ministry leadership and specifically to preach. And this is what he said. He goes, hey, I've, I've known that. I was waiting for the Lord to reveal it to you and you be obedient to it. And then the next thing he said, scared me to death. He goes, you're up in six weeks. <laughs> so it was this small rural church, you know, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night prayer meeting, you know, where they go over the prayer sheets. And, and so I remember it was a Sunday night. There's probably 30 people there. 27 of them were my friends and family. Um, I stumbled through Psalm 23. It took me about 14 minutes. I think I said amen 82 times, <laughs> not even with the exclamation point, it was with a question mark looking for affirmation. So it's like, the Lord is my shepherd. Amen. Like it was terrible. Let me tell you, it was terrible. But I did have a pastor that saw a calling of God in my life, gave me opportunities to exercise some gifts and talents, even though I was extremely unpolished. He gave me some extra, you know, some opportunities to, you know, to lead and to serve. And in that process, he discipled me and he helped me, even though I failed a lot, messed up a lot. He took me through that process and helped me learn through that. And more than anything, he helped me learn how to walk deeply with Jesus. That's awesome. Do you feel like there's an absence of pastors like this man who are looking within their church to raise up the next generation? I think so. I think when we think about you know, calling out the called in an invitation type setting is like, I really think this is one of those things where we have not because we ask not. Like, so I I think God hasn't stopped calling people to ministry leadership. I think we as current leaders have stopped asking Hmm. a whole generation to consider if God's calling them ministry leadership. You know, I even think of practically like my pastor on a regular basis would give invitations like on Sunday morning of not just to surrender to Jesus as Lord and save your life, but also to call out the call. Like he would give regular invitations. Maybe God's calling you to ministry leadership or God's calling you to the mission field. And he wouldn't do it every Sunday, but there was a pretty regular rhythm of that. Maybe every month or every six weeks or a couple of times a quarter. And you even think of practically, when's the last time we've heard somebody do that in a local church? We'll do it at camps, you know, like, and and y'all like have some great camps. Y'all have, you know, Fuge and Student Life and other camps that I've been a part of preach. So we'll do it at camps. We'll do it at conferences, but we're not doing it on a large scale at our local churches anymore. So I really think this is probably a part of the issue of we have not because we ask not. We've stopped giving an invitation for people to even have an opportunity to respond to that, or we're not putting it on their radar. And we got to get back to that. Yeah. yeah. And I want to piggyback off what you said. Uh, I have a similar story, Shane. I found myself with a preaching gift in a church, didn't know I was a preacher, had an elderly uh pastor i shouldn't say elderly he was a senior adult but he wasn't an old guy you're getting <sighs> close to be careful that. with that <laughs> um but anyway he 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 put me up on sunday night like yeah he just said hey you got the sunday night service and it was me just cutting my teeth and he he would come yeah. sit in the front row take notes and you know show himself to be a student of the bible as i was preaching there just aren't a lot of people that would have taken a chance on a young guy like me like that absolutely and yeah, so no i doubt. just I hope there's pastors and 
uh, ministry leaders out there just uh, listening to this, asking the question, like, who can I take a chance on? Who can I give an opportunity to that maybe doesn't even know that they're, they're qualified, uh, but they really do have the gift. They just haven't been able to open it up, take it out of the box. Absolutely. And, and I feel like, too, often calling reveals itself in serving. So giving people an opportunity to serve and have those, those leadership capacities. And, and especially if you're dealing with young people, young adults, college students, teenagers, will they mess up? Absolutely. Um, will they show up late? Probably, you know, but that's also a part of what that maturing is about and that discipleship process is about. And also, I think as leaders and pastors, we don't need to discount some of those older seasoned saints either. Uh, my wife, you know, served on staff at a local church and her direct report, uh, he was in his 60s and he surrendered to a call in a ministry on his life at 61. He was a successful businessman, <laughs> sold his business, but he had this love for the church and this love to uh, equip the saints for the work of ministry. And he joined a church staff in his 60s because he goes, Man, I think God's called me to ministry leadership. And he was in his 60s. So I think even on this, sometimes we think of young, but God may be calling older saints as well. So I think that's why it's important to have what I would call private invitations, where maybe you're having that conversation over coffee or dinner and you go, hey, I see this in you. Do you see it in yourself? Or, hey, what do you feel like God's doing in your life? God's, is God calling you in this direction? But I think it's also important to have those public invitations because God may be doing a work in somebody that we wouldn't initially consider. said, calling reveals itself in serving. Let's talk about that. The ministry of availability is a very good ministry. So many of the calling moments in my own life were not something I plotted or saw coming. I just said yes to an assignment that turned into more. That's been a lot of your story. Uh, You know, at our first church, you found yourself filling a role that you didn't know was preparing you for the next. You said that so fast. You said ministry of availability. Yeah, just make where is there a need, and I'll go plug that hole and see what I can learn from this experience. Right. Yeah, I mean that's what and we've. I've told this story before um, on the podcast, but I shadowed what was a dear friend of mine who was the preschool director when we were at Inglewood, and not having any idea that that was in my future. But I mean, it was just kind of like she needed someone to help her, and so I just said, "I'll be available to you, Sherry. I can go into a classroom." I can take attendance. I can do whatever you need me to do. And there were some days that we sat there and ate, you know, Reese's peanut butter cups and had a Dr. Pepper because we had a 20 minute break before between services. And, and, and even that was just special. I mean, those are the things you remember. So really it just was being available, not realizing that that service was going to be part of my calling. And this is just another area where scripture connects with karate kid. (laughs) What? Wax on, wax off. Don't you remember that scene? All these little things that Miyagi had him doing later on were part of the skill development. And so I think about even that with my life, like certain things I didn't want to do at the time or were handed to me. And later in life, I'm like, okay, now I see why God forced me to learn how to do that because now it's a part of my life. Do you see that? See what I did there? Movies Daniel through son. the Bible. Daniel's son. Feels like a theme. <laughs> So let's talk about your book a little bit and the, just the different ways you and Scott go about challenging churches to call out the called. Like, what are the other ways besides the invitation, um, you know, culture? What are some other practical tips for churches to raise up young people for places of leadership? You got anything else? 
Yeah, absolutely. You know, I would say, first of all, um, it starts with prayer. And I know that sounds like a Sunday school answer, but, you know, when you think of Matthew 9, where Jesus looks on the people with compassion, and then he says, you know, the heart, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Um, and then in the next verse, I think what we tend to do is default as leaders to go, oh, well, the harvest is plentiful, the laborers are few. So let's come up with an initiative, <laughs> right? Or let's come up with a strategy or do what Scott and I did. Let's write a book. But Jesus actually says, pray pray to the Lord of the harvest. So I think it starts with like, like pray God have this as a culture here in our ministry of raising up leaders, raising up the next generation ministry leaders, discipling people to be the church. And so pray that God would give us a heart for that. Pray that God would have people respond to that in obedience. So I'd say prayer. I think invitations is important. I think we have not because we asked not. So we got to get back to the invitations. I would say another one that is important is, is doing exactly um, then what we just did, we, we shared our testimony of calling ministry. Think about that. You know, we often share our testimonies of how we began to follow Jesus or how we were saved, but we don't often share our testimonies of a calling to ministry leadership. Mm. And I really believe that stories help change stories and people connect to stories. So I think the more we get active as leaders, sharing our testimony of calling to ministry leadership, have others in our church or other staff share that on a regular basis, then people hear that and go, well, God did that in his life. Maybe God's doing that in my life or God did that in her life. Maybe God's got me down that same path. So I think sharing our testimonies more, uh, like meaning talk it up, sometimes talking it up uh, creates a lot of momentum and movement. And then I would say serving opportunities, I mean, especially when you think of young people. I know a lot of times we look at young people and go, hey, they're the future of the church, the future of the church. And I know what we mean by that. If we don't reach our future, we have no future their future leaders, pastors, influencers, sure. But really, theologically speaking, if they've been bought by the blood of Jesus and they have the Holy Spirit of God, they're not the future of the church. They are the church right now. They have a calling of God on their life now. Um, they are saints of God now. And we must equip the saints for the work of ministry. So I would say give those young people an opportunity um, to serve. Give them some opportunities for leadership. Give them some opportunities to sit at the table because sometimes calling reveals itself in those in those serving opportunities to go man i love this i really feel alive doing this i really feel passionate about you know serving the church and serving the lord and making disciples and and loving people so i think sometimes calling reveals itself in serving so giving people an opportunity to serve and then i think train your other leaders to like be discerning and to listen well because i think a lot of times as leaders, if we're looking to disciple and replace ourselves, then we're kind of looking constantly. And then that's what can lead us to those conversations to go, hey, I see this in you. Do you see it in yourself? Or have you considered going to Bible college? Or have you considered going to seminary? Um, do you feel like God's doing this? So I say even have our leaders to constantly be looking at ways to duplicate themselves and to uh, replace themselves. Yeah. So practically speaking, what have you seen churches do really well when they um, get their people um, to be very involved? I mean, what have you seen them doing well? Yeah, I think I think it starts with kind of the a biblical education piece, you know, because in the Bible, when you think of calling, you see kind of three major callings. You see, first of all, calling to hope. Uh, so if we look at Ephesians 4, uh, you know, Ephesians 4, 
um, in verse four and five, you see there's a calling to hope. So there's a calling unto the Lord for salvation. But then for believers, once you've been bought by the blood of Jesus, have the Holy Spirit of God, you really see kind of two types of callings. You see what uh, we said in the book, a universal calling. Now, not universalism, <laughs> a universal calling on all believers, meaning this. If you've been bought by the blood of Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit of God. You are called to a ministry of reconciliation. You are called to a ministry of knowing Jesus and making Jesus known. So helping people understand that, that's where that Ephesians 4.12 comes in, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. And we know saints are aren't just a football team in New Orleans or people in old paintings. Saints are the people of God who have the Holy Spirit. So we equip them for ministry. But then there's this third calling. And that's where we really sort of focus on. We got to get back on and teaching our church is there's a unique, what we call a unique calling on some. We see that all throughout the Bible. You see it like in Jeremiah's life and Isaiah's life and Deborah's life and Phoebe's life and Paul's life and Timothy's life, where there's that Ephesians 4.11, where I love the CSB translation of this. And it says, and God gave some, um, and then it lists out all these things. You could just lump them all together as leaders. And God gave some to be leaders to do what? Equip the saints for the work of ministry. So I think we got to really get back to helping our churches understand that and the people in our church understand this calling. And I'm not saying in the unique universal, I'm not saying there's a varsity team and a JV team. I'm saying all equally important, just different roles. So I think we really got to get back to teaching that well. So I feel like the churches who are doing it well are teaching that well. And they go, Hey, we want to run on both of these tracks, a universal and unique calling, help people walk in that. And then I think when people do surrender to a, a calling of ministry leadership, churches have a plan for them. Um, I think uh, if we're going to call them to respond, then we got to have a plan. Uh, my ministry coach used to say this, hey, Shane, what if your vision works? <laughs> I think sometimes as leaders, we don't ever ask ourselves that. We will go, what's my vision? What's our mission? What's our statements? But what if your vision works? Are you prepared for that? So having some kind of pathway, some kind of pipeline, grouping them together in cohorts or having like a residency program or school of ministry within your context and all those kind of things to really help people do that. And so like we didn't talk about, I love what Ben said, just, just getting reps in a teaching. So maybe if you have, you know, five or 10, you know, people in your church who feel called to preach, we'll put them together and maybe they're not ready for the stage yet, but let them practice on each other. Let them work on writing sermons. Let them preach to each other and those things. I think we can be as creative as possible. Um, Shane, when you're in the church planning world with the North American Mission Board. When I was a planner, when we were planners, I noticed something about the relationship between the sending church and the, the church that was being planted. And that is uh, having a young baby church can bring the older church to life. Mm -hmm. I've noticed the yeah. same thing with uh, churches who are getting old and aged. Uh, I've said this way, if you want to bring an old dog to life, get a puppy. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's great. Yeah. I think there are a lot of folks out there, they're in churches that are feeling more and more gray. Uh, yep. Things haven't changed in a long time. There's a sense of how we're going to reach the next generation. But what you're saying is if you can get some younger people involved in leadership, if you can pray that God would give you a few younger people to let them sit in the room in staff meeting or be involved, it can bring life to everybody. It's not, it's a reciprocal yeah. relationship. That's it the key. Is. Yeah. And so we've mm -hmm. got to get away from this mindset of if I could just have someone to mentor, that mentee is the one that's going to do all the benefiting. I think that's totally backwards. It seems yeah. to be that it helps both ways. Would you agree with that? 
Absolutely. And it's a beautiful model you see in Titus too, right? The older men take the younger men, the older women take the younger women. And I always like to say practically, if you think of, especially on life on life discipleship, that is multi-generational, is you really can learn from each other. Because mm-hmm. that young person, if you're older, that young person can help you with your iPhone, <laughs> right? right? And then if you're older, you can help that young person learn how to change a flat tire. Because I promise you, they don't know how, right? <laughs> so it's a beautiful thing. Like, I feel like the healthiest churches are truly like those multi-generational churches. Like, I love, um, and Ben, I'm sure you're the same way. I love preaching uh, at churches on Sunday morning where you walk up and there's the 16-year-old and the 60-year-old greeting together. There's people of all ages taking up the audience. There's people of all ages on the stages. people of all ages in the sound booth. There's people of all ages serving, like to really come together. And I think that's what um, really helps in discipleship too, you know, is I think, you know, sometimes if we're not careful, and please hear me, I, I believe in age-specific ministries. I do. That's why I do what I do. But I also think sometimes if we just separate people by their ages all the time, we cut our discipleship legs out from under us, right? If we go, all the kids, you go over here, all the teens, you go over here, all the college students, you go over here, all the young adults, you go over here, all the young families over here, all the, you know, families with kids over here, all the empty nesters over here, all the, and you know, we don't say senior adults anymore. They don't like that term. So all the classics you go over here, right? And we keep everybody separated on some level. We cut our discipleship legs out from under us. So I think if we're being creative to find, here's ways for people to serve together, lead together, be on mission together, multi-generational. I think that's a beautiful thing. And we mutually benefit. That was my story. A guy in his early seventies, I'm 21 and he would talk about how like he just felt invigorated um, in life. And and I want to say this too, is that you don't have to be a large church to do this. Uh, Cornerstone Baptist Church, the church that I got saved in, baptized in, called the ministry in, began ministry in, um, ran a hundred people on Easter Sundays. You know what I mean? But now there's multiple of us that are in ministry that all go back to that church because there was a pastor in his seventies that continue on to his eighties that just poured into the next generation. And he would say that we, we gave him life too. And I think it's mutually beneficial for sure. Yeah. You bring up a great point. I went to a really small public high school in rural Illinois, total attendance, uh, 130, nine through 12th grade, which obviously we didn't have a lot of big programs, but I got to play on the basketball team. Okay. Yeah, that's right. yeah, <laughs> if I that's went to the high school where my sons go right now, I would not have yeah. played in the basketball team. So what I'm saying is smaller churches may not have the big production. They may not have a big staff, but it can be an incredible training ground for people who may not ever get to preach, you know, fill in on a, at a huge church. But in this church, it feels good and right to let this young man have a Sunday. Uh, mm-hmm. So using that to your advantage to be a training center, if you're a smaller church where you, where people can be inexperienced and it's okay and it's and it's uh, embraced by the church that this is a place where people get an opportunity to uh, to learn and grow even if they don't do it great the first time. Absolutely, yeah. So uh, let's get to some of the hard things about this. Um, yeah. We've we've just like really preached the positive side of this, but there are I think some hard realities of being in ministry that scare young people away. Yeah. Uh, what are you seeing right now as terms of the resistance from young people? I'm like, I don't want to go into ministry because I don't want to blank. Like, what are those things that they're afraid of? Yeah, I think, you know, especially with social media, um, you know, like there's so many positive things about social media. I, I never want to be the negative guy about social media. Like, I think there's a lot of positive things about social media, but also I think social media has also like, 
helped even Christian leaders like constantly air their grievances. You know what I mean? Like I always say like Twitter is like a bad church business meeting and everyone has access to the microphone at the same time. True. You know what I mean? And so like, so I think there's what we don't stop and consider sometimes is there's a whole generation of young people that are reading those same tweets right. or seeing those same videos or hearing that. And they'll go, man, like if that's what church is all about or ministry is all about, I don't want to have anything to do with that. Yeah. So I think Gen Z, you know, those are currently graduating college in college teenagers and then the alpha generation coming up. They love transparency and they love authenticity. So I'm not saying we sugarcoat it. I think we'd be very real about our struggles. We'd be very real about our failures. But I also think we need to be more careful about how we talk about our fellow brothers and sisters that are in ministry and that we need to be more careful about how we talk about the bride of Christ. You know, like, I mean, Ben, I'm sure like people, if they said, hey, Ben, I love you, but I have a problem with Lindley, that wouldn't go well with you, you know? (laughs) And so I think we need to be very careful how we talk about the bride of Christ because there is a generation that's watching that and go, I don't want to have anything to do with that. Or if that's what ministry is, I don't want to do that. And so I think we need to be more careful how we talk about the bride and how we talk about each other. Yeah. yeah and we talk about this in our home too, like Lindley and I, because the kids just by nature are going to hear, you know, the struggles that mom and dad go yeah. through. You can't shell them for everything. No. But one of the things I do try to tell my kids is like, hey, yeah, there are parts of my job that are really hard, but wait till you get a job. There's going to yeah. be parts about your job that are really hard too. So mm-hmm. I don't want you to think this is just related to Christian ministry or the church. Like when you're in people work, there's just always challenges. And so helping That's them right. to yeah. be mature in their expectations that yeah, it's not just that ministry is hard. Just uh, career is hard. Life. No matter what path, life, life is, is hard. hard. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so I think helping, helping young people understand that it doesn't matter what path you choose, there's going to be days where you just really wish you could do something else. Um, yeah, absolutely. And you want to throw in the towel and quit, but that's just part of sticking to the job. Mm-hmm. Yeah, seems absolutely. And and I think we appeal to what they're passionate about, you know, because if you think of Gen Z, they are a cause-oriented generation. They are an activist generation. And we go, listen, the greatest cause there is is the great commission of Jesus. There's not a greater cause than that. Helping to impact people's eternity. There's not a greater cause than that. And so, yes, it may be rough, but you go, man, I want my life to count. And you start pouring into people and you start helping lead and edify the body of Christ. There's nothing more beautiful than that. So I think to even like help take their passions uh, for certain things and direct it in the right direction. I think we really could have a generation of leaders rise up that uh, would only benefit us as other leaders. Are you seeing young people rise up and want to be a part of churches that are already established or i mean we were nam planters you're mm-hmm. at nam i mean i know that's the thing right now and and it's it's um appealing because you get to do your own thing you get to start your own church with your dna so you know how does that look long term with churches that are can't find pastors because so many are planting yeah for sure yeah i think you know i love church planting Mm -hmm. i love church planters i was a church planter yeah obviously y'all as well and god's done incredible things through that um so i'm a big fan of church planters and church plants i think when it comes to like young young people especially when i'm talking about like young adults college seniors i don't know that they think through it and that much i think they're more like they want to be where god is moving they want to be where God is changing communities and lives. They want to be where 
the leaders seem to be accessible and transparent and honest. And to be real, I say this, like young people really aren't looking for cool leaders. They're just looking for real and authentic ones. And I think they want to be where they can really activate their faith. Meaning like, I don't think young people are okay in any situation where it's a church plant or a church that's 150 year old, years old, where they're mainly are like, Hey, sit here, listen to sermons, go to potluck dinners and just wait to go to heaven. You know what I mean? Like none of them want to be a part of that. So I think any church where like, it's truly about helping you walk with Jesus, helping you live on mission where they really see lives and communities being changed. I think they want to just be a part of that, whether that's at a, a brand new church plant or a church that's 150 years old. And I don't think it matters to them as much either what the size of it is, whether it's a church that runs 30,000 or a church that runs 30. I think they just want to be at a church where the people are real, they're authentic, and they really want to be about changing communities and lives. <laughs> I have a funny story related to this. We have a college student daughter who's very uh, – honest with us about her feelings and she, i was talking to her recently about how i don't feel cool anymore when i speak to young people <laughs> and i was yeah. like i think i need to dress cooler like do i need to get a jean jacket or something and yeah and she was like dad please don't please don't yeah because like, yeah. we young people we see right through that like what i like about what you oh, wear sure. is like that's what yep. you wear like that's who you are and i yeah. do think there is this like this misperception out there that if we're going to attract young people, we've got to like change our wardrobe, get tighter pants and, you know, <laughs> change who we are. When I think you're yeah. so right. Like I would much rather listen to a super not cool older person who's real. No doubt. And is not trying yeah. to be cool, but is really honest. Uh, yeah. I'm drawn to that guy. No doubt. For sure. And you're right. They see right through it. I always say like, just be you. Like if you are the jeans and sneakers person and you're tatted up, then cool. Be you. If you're the person that likes to mow their yard and pleated docker pants, that's okay. <laughs> like be you. Because if you try to be something you're not, they will see right through that. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, just be you. Like, cause you think of some of like, if you really think then, if you think of some of the leaders out there that really attract like younger millennials and some of the older Gen Z, um, they're not always like the cool young guys and gals. There's some of the older, you know, guys and gals that they flock to and want to learn from and listen to, you know? I want to ask you some questions about, um, I'm going to give you two hypothetical scenarios and I want to hear what you would say to this pastor. Okay. First pastor is in a college town, ton of young people. And other than preaching to them, they really don't have anything structured or formatted yeah. for them. Like, what would you say to that guy in, in terms of his next step? So like, how do you start Rick really getting serious about equipping and training? Yeah. Yeah. I would say, first of all, uh, you just got to get in their context. I mean, just even statistically speaking, you know, Gen Z is the least religious generation we've mm. seen in the United States. Um, so that means typically they're not just going to show up, right? Uh, a young person doesn't wake up one day and go, mm, I think I'm going to go to church um, because they're not religious, period, like in their in their generation, their life. So if they're there, they're there because a trusted friend invited them or their life just blowed up, right? So you're going to have to go to them. It's going to have to be a lot more of the go and tell ministry at first than the come and see. So is figure out ways to get on that college campus, get to where young people are to go, hey, we want to reach young people. Well, don't wait for them to come to you. You got to go to them. Because even if you think about that, sometimes, man, if we go, hey, we're called to live on mission, 
but we're waiting for young people to come to us. On some level, you're expecting the young people to be the missionaries, right? Because <laughs> they're not believers. They, don't, they haven't been to church. So you're expecting them to come into your turf, learn your culture, learn your language. And so you're almost expecting lost young people to be the missionaries instead of us mm. to be the missionaries. So we got to go to them, get where they're at, and just serve them. And to remember, ultimately, the goal at first is not to get them into your church building. The goal at first is to show them Jesus. So I think if we start with the gospel, go and tell, just be around them, love on them, serve them, whether that's mentoring, tutoring. There's a lot of people that are looking for a lot of help, especially coming through the pandemic, because a lot of people are going, man, we're trying to hire people and we can't find people to hire. And you go, well, hey, we're from the church down the road. No agendas. We just want to come volunteer. People really will take that, you know, and so it's like we got to get where they're at, show them Jesus, point them to Jesus. And then if I feel like if we get them to Jesus, they'll get in our churches. One of the most difficult things in pastoral ministry, in my opinion, is to love the church that God gave you, not the one that you wish you had. Mm-hmm. And I think when it comes to young people, a lot of pastors are frustrated because they don't have a church that's reaching a lot of young people or they're not in a context where there's college students moving in all the time. Maybe they're in a rural setting where it's just hard to reach young people. Mm-hmm. And there can be a bit of a of, of some envy mm-hmm. that forms of, I'm not a part of a cool church that's reaching lots of young people. But it, I, I, I love what Shane said, like every church needs to be about raising up young people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean... We were just talking about this because our church storyline when we were there did not have a college ministry. It just was not reaching that group. Um, we were excelling in some other ways, but we saw a post recently and they had a ton of college students there. And it was just kind of a moment of praise the Lord. Like somebody there has figured out how yes. to reach college students and let's celebrate that. I mean, because it's a need. And so instead of being a, a jealous of, you know, man, you know, what they figure out that we didn't figure out. I mean, I just feel like there just needs to be so much more celebration among churches when we, we are now going to see post what other churches do well. And I just wish we could get to a place of just, that is so great that they figured it out. And I think any healthy organization is thinking about succession. Who's coming behind, mm-hmm. whether it's a church or an organization. We talk about that a lot of LifeWay. Like, where do we have people who are going to retire soon and there's nobody coming behind. So good leaders are thinking, who's going to take this thing over when I'm not here? So it's not okay for churches to say, we're just going to grow this thing into the grave. We've got to be turning it over to a younger generation. So no matter what context you're in, this is this calling is for you. It's not just for those who are in college towns. Mm-hmm. I just have to, I just think churches have to be proactive in thinking of this and communicating it to their churches. I mean, it can't just happen. I mean, you've you've literally talked to every one of your executive leadership team members and said, if something were to happen to you, who is next? What's going to happen? And so, I mean, I think it's just a conversation that we all have to be careful for. And I think that it comes with humility that you have to be um, willing to say that you are replaceable. I mean, that is the lesson that we've learned here so long, that everybody is so replaceable so fast. I mean, people just move on so quickly. I would love to visit a church one Sunday, and an older pastor gets up and say, says, Lord's really been laying on my heart to pour into some younger men. And so right here in the front row is a young man named Joe, and I'm spending more time with him, and he's going to help me today take up the offering or offer a prayer. He's going to come and read scripture, just something Mm -hmm. to show that you are thinking about the next generation. Mm -hmm. It's so important.
want Lindley to tell you about a thread she saw uh, on our daughter goes to UT Knoxville. And yeah. there were some non-Southern people that were commenting about what it was like to drop their kids off. Mm-hmm. And they were really turned off by the number of churches mm-hmm. that were recruiting the college kids. Mm-hmm. Do you remember oh, what wow. this thread said, Lindley? Oh, gosh, I don't. I wish I had it. It was still, amazing because it was-, it, was, it was a look into how non-religious people perceive yeah. churches. Yeah. Yeah. The the post itself was not what was so interesting to me. It was the comments below the post and how, yeah. you know, the really unsensitive believing people were like, well, we're we're godly. We're just trying to help. We're trying to serve. It was almost like mm-hmm. applauding defensive, defensive yeah. applauding yeah. themselves for like what they were yeah. doing and they weren't hearing the heart of what what they were yeah. saying. Right. Well, and and that I mean, it's a true postmodern classroom exercise because you had people who were like, "Don't try to shove your beliefs on my kids." Mm -hmm. As I'm dropping my student off at school, who are you to try to recruit him to your religious institution? I just think it's super important for us to recognize that that's where the culture's going, and just standing there with a flyer about your church is not going to draw kids to church anymore. You have yeah. to find a way to get relational. And, and maybe that's partnering yeah. with campus ministry people who are yep. there on campus. Yep. Yeah, that's it. And there are, yeah, those those campus missionaries are so important mm-hmm. on campus because they're already there. You know, they're respected by the school. And yeah, just serve. That's what I'm saying, going in with no agendas. Because I remember even as a youth pastor, I'd come into a new town. And of course, I wanted to go meet all the football coaches and stuff as an athlete. And I'd just go, hey, what does your team need? And then they'd be like, what do you want? And mm-hmm. I'm like, no, I just want to know. I just want to say, what do they need? You want us to provide Gatorade for you each week? Uh, you need some new tackling dummies? What? And they're like, well, you're just here to service? Yeah. And like, they'd be blown away by that. And then, but guess what? Like when you build that relationship, then when something does hard happen in their life, you're going to be the one they turn to. Yeah. They're going to be the, you're going to be the one they call. And so I'd say even at those college campuses, uh, move in week is huge. Mm-hmm. Just being there organized with the campus ministries that are already there because they're there and they're doing moving and just go, Hey, we're going to go help carry boxes for these college students. That's good. No agendas. We're not asking anything of them. We just want to serve them. Okay. Here's the second scenario. Uh, most of the churches we serve at Lifeway, and I'm sure you've seen this at NAM, are small churches. They're not cool churches. Yeah. They're, you're never going to know their name, their pastor, their website, but they're just out there doing faithful ministry with a hundred or less people. What do you say to that pastor out there who his church is not teaming with young people, but he feels conviction about this conversation. He wants to raise up some young people. Like how does he get started in a setting like that? Yeah, I would, I would encourage you that there's some characteristics that we see in Gen Z that really is a prime spot. If you are a church of mainly older people to once again, still go get on their turf because there seems to be more similarities between Gen Z and boomers than Gen Z and millennials and Gen Xers. You know what I mean? Because I think, especially with millennials, unfortunately out of whether 
fairness or unfairness, there was so much negativity put on millennials that Gen Z are like, oh, I don't want to do that or be that or whatever. And so they started to, I think sometimes Gen Z will even identify with their grandparents more than they do their parents sometimes mm. with how they view things and some of the, the core value type things that they have um, in their life. And so I would just say this, listen, like, don't ever feel like, oh, I can't do it. My, my old pastor, you say this, if, if you're, if you're not dead, God's not done. So like, get in it, like be out there. Most young people love their grandparents. Most grandparents love their, love young people. I, in fact, I just was speaking to a group of, uh, uh, you know, youth pastors, about 80 youth pastors on the campus here. And I told them, I think one of the greatest untapped resource for any college ministry or student ministry are the senior adults in the church because they have a lot of wisdom. They have a lot of experience. I think a lot of times we want to get young families and young people to pour into them. But a lot of the, those young families have jobs and they have kids and little league and homework like they're strapped. But those older senior saints, a lot of them, they're retired. They have more open calendars. Uh, they have a lot of wisdom and experience. They have a long time following Jesus. Uh, a lot of them have disposable income, so they can take those students to dinner and to lunch and those kind of things. Um, and a lot of them have trust equity built up in the community because they've lived there for decades. So I would just want to say this. If you're mainly a church of older people, listen, uh, Gen Z is not going to be turned off because of your age. They're really not ageist. They don't care how old you are. They just want to know that you really do care and you are going to take the time you know, for them. So I just want to encourage you, hey, get out there, do it. We, we desperately need you. I would say, like my daughter who's attending church in college, if a, if a sweet older person like you're describing approached her and asked her if she'd ever like to have a place to do her laundry or, uh, you know, come over for a meal, someone that's at church, I think that would mean a lot to her. Uh, 100%. And I think yeah. the relationship piece is, uh, Gen Z is really interested in the relationship piece. And, and I would say this, I would add to what you said Maybe you don't have a program you can launch because there's just not a whole group of people that are interested yeah. in being young people. Maybe there's one person. That's it. Maybe there's just one Shane Pruitt there that's a little unpolished that you could take yeah. out to lunch yeah. once a month and just say, yeah. I just want to pour into you. I just want to I want to be there for you as a mentor, whether God calls you to ministry or not. I just think having a relationship with a young person in their early 20s would be just so beneficial for you as a pastor. It's incredible. I I saw one of the most beautiful pictures I saw of this Ben in Lindley was probably about a little over a year and a half ago. I was speaking at a conference in another state, got there a little early. So I went to the local coffee shop and was kind of hanging out, looking over my notes. And I happened to look over and now I wish I would have got a picture of it. I think it would have been beautiful to put out there. Um, but I see there's four guys sitting around the table. Three of them look like they're probably college age guys. And the fourth one, this dude, I don't know how old he was. I was like, he looked like Noah's great grandson. You know what I mean? Like this guy, he was up there and all four of them had their Bibles open. And those young guys were hanging on his every word as he was doing a Bible study with them in the coffee shop. These three college age guys with the guy that looked, he looked like he was probably in his late eighties. And I'm like, that's Titus chapter two. And here is a guy that realized, you know what? You never retire from this. You just graduate one day. And here's a guy pouring into college students in his 80s. And I go, that's my hero. I want to be like them. I love pastors and preachers and I love authors. But ultimately, I want to be that guy that's pouring into college students when I'm in my 80s in a coffee shop.
The Glass House is a production of Lifeway. It's produced and edited by Angie Elkins. Sound engineering by Dale Sandberg. Original music by Robert Elkins. Photography by Rebecca McVeigh. And artwork by Heather Berzinski. We are your hosts, Ben and Lindley Mandrill. Thanks for listening.